Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Marley Carter about, well, we might talk about culture in the boardroom, we might talk about ESG, we might talk about something else. Let's just see how the conversation goes. First, let me tell you about Marley. Marley is a highly experienced, effective and trusted lawyer. She's also a leading regional expert in corporate governance and sustainability and the Chief Executive Officer of the Middle East Institute of Directors. In just 18 years, Marley's career, which began as a legal advisor for a legal firm, has rapidly evolved to her position today as a luminary in the corporate governance, sustainability, training and advice sectors. Her talents were rewarded early on in her career when she was recognised as a rising star of corporate governance by Milestein Centre, Yale University in 2010, and one of the top 100 thought leaders in Europe and the Middle East from trustworthy business behaviour in 2011. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Marley. Thank you, Helia. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, Marley, like we've heard you've got a wealth of experience already just from your bio, but I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about you and maybe what your earliest experience of governance was? Um, I can try. Um, so, I'm one of the lucky or unlucky ones where I've I've always known uh, my future and I was diligent to become a lawyer and it wasn't I, I really didn't have to waver much or think about where and what to study so that was a, a, a smooth transition and I studied law and I worked in law and it was a satisfactory career for some time but I realized that it was missing something it wasn't addressing the issues that I would have liked it to address. So I was very mm. disappointed by the legal profession. And something happened in, in one with one of my clients that really struck me very, very close to my heart. And I realized that people really don't know the difference between what's what's legal and what's right. Mm. And, and that got me into a spiral. There has to be more than just, is it legal or is it not legal? And up mm. until that point, after practicing for what, 
good six, seven years, I've had very good clients that I'd say, this is the legal thing to do. And they'd always do that and do 10 times more and say, because that's the right thing to do. So, mm. you know, if we're letting someone go, these are their dues, but they've been really good to us. So here's a, a large bonus for all the hard work and, and you know, our, our commitment and our gratitude. And then when I came across this one client that wasn't that, I, it kind of like, mm. what do you mean? <laughs> There's so much more. You should be doing the right thing. And that spiral took me into the world of governance and sustainability. Mm. And, you know, I, I didn't have a term at the time or I didn't realize what the term was. I think it started off at some point as a responsible business. What is a responsible business? How to have a responsible business that over the years kind of translated into how to be sustainable and then how good governance and, and how to take the right decisions and, and do the right thing. And mm. it just kind of took a life of its own from there. And here I am many, many years later. I don't know if that answers your question or did I just ramble on? <laughs> no, well, like it does answer the question. It explains, and I love that comparison of what's legal and what's right. You know, it doesn't have to be the lowest common denominator. In fact, good governance, I would say, it's not just inverted commas compliance. It's way beyond compliance. It's about doing things well and as the best you can rather than just what you need to comply with, which is the lowest common denominator. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. And that's, for me, where the culture component comes in, because it's having a value system that then drives all the decisions and all the practices and all the structures and all the frameworks. Yeah. Um, I don't talk about culture in the sense, or for me at least, culture is not, you know, I come from the Middle East, you come from Australia, somebody else comes from Europe and so forth. Yes, we all have different cultures, but but there are operating cultures, if you will. Yeah. Um, do I just tick the box? Do I look for the lowest common denominator? Or do I look for the highest common denominator? Do I even try to look for yeah. the highest common denominator? And, and that's a lifelong journey. I mean, it's not something that any boardroom can really sit there and say, yes, I did that last year, worked it out, we're good, we're sorted. It's mm. an ongoing process. Yeah, that's right. It's not a set and forget thing, is it? I don't think so. You know, I would say it's because it's around dynamics, you know, and dynamics as they sound are fluid and move and the way the relationships in them move around. So you can't just go, oh, thank heavens, we've got it right. Let's just keep doing whatever this is for the next year or two years because the the relationships and so on move. I mean, in your experience as the CEO of the Middle East Institute of Directors, you must see a lot <laughs> about what's working well and indeed, I'm guessing sometimes what's not working well in relation to culture in the boardroom, in as much detail as you're able to share, can you tell us some of those things about what you see that is working well and maybe those things that are not working so well? I think, interesting question. So even though I, I lump the Middle East as a region, it's, it's actually mm. very diverse. And, and mm -hmm. each country does have its own nuances, its own cultural challenges, if you will, um, but there are common themes that cut across. One uh, that I find, I always find fascinating, which is uh, respect. I think we have way too much respect for each other that often this veers away from an open and frank conversation. In as much as this is a good thing and respect is important, the minute it becomes a debilitating variable and takes away from the ability to have an open and frank discussion for the business sake. It becomes mm. a, a, a negative aspect. That's a common theme I find in many boardrooms. 
Um, mm. I often hear board members say, I can't say that. So-and-so would get upset with me or, or it would seem disrespectful for so-and-so, you know, if I imply that they're potentially too old to be on the board. Yeah. Or, you know, if I suggest that this person step out of the room because if it's a conflict of interest issue, you know, that, that's just rude. So it's, it's interesting managing these concepts and, and holding on to the respect variable because that's very much part of the culture, but at the same time, focusing on it, it, is, it is actually more respectful for you to speak your mind than to think it and not share it. Something I find is that we're also not taught how to communicate effectively. It's not a skill that is embedded in us, whether it be through our academia or education or even our family structures um, to communicate. So to know what to say, how to say it in a respectful yet impactful way. So working with directors on, on communication, effective communication has been, has been a journey. Interesting, but uh, still a journey nonetheless. And, and there's been great successes, some dips in the road, but overall, I'd say it's been, a, it's been quite positive. And to be able to receive constructive communication is also, it, it takes two to tango. You're right. Those things are connected. It's so interesting when you started saying then that about respect in the boardroom, where I thought you were going to go was around, you know, we need to have more respect. But in fact, straight after that, you went, there's too much of it. Well, that's not quite how you put it, but something like that. So it's interesting around even what that definition of respect is, and I guess encouraging robustness in that and being able to challenge, being able to deal with different opinions in a constructive way. I would say, is part of that respect if you can do it well. It's a new skill. And, and I mean, I say this to all board members, you may be a perfect person, just not perfect for this board. Yes. Um, and, and we need to be okay with that. So if you're not able to accept constructive criticism, if you're not able to give constructive criticism and it's, you know, purely a yes, sir, or, you know, okay, begrudgingly, then you're not mm. doing the board any favours or the company any favours. So in working with directors through the Institute of Directors and in presumably in training directors around those robust conversations and around challenge and around receiving feedback and giving feedback, those sorts of things, you don't need to name names, but are there any stories you can tell about either organisations or people that you've worked with where there has been some shifts in what are uh, either in their individual practice or around the board as a whole? One activity that sort of brings all of this together is, is board evaluations. Mm-hmm. And as we know, this is a relatively challenging practice worldwide. I mean, I don't yeah. think the Middle East is unique in that. Because of the respect factor, it kind of becomes a bit more challenging. And transforming boards to understand the value behind board evaluations, um, yeah. I find to be very satisfying. Very satisfying mm-hmm. because I often start with, you know, who are you to evaluate me? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not evaluating you. You're evaluating each other. Yes. Um, and then it's like, on what basis is somebody else going to evaluate me? I'm like, well, are you there? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you read? Or do you just ask questions? Are you just the devil's advocate all the time? Are meetings taking five hours instead of two because you haven't read the board pack? There's a lot of things that really any observer can evaluate you on without yes. necessarily evaluating you as a person. And again, to the point, it's not about you as a person. It's about your performance as yeah. a member of a team. 
you may be yeah. the genius of the century, but mm -hmm. you don't necessarily bring in the necessary skills that the company needs at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't necessarily have the right dynamics character-wise mm -hmm. to play yeah. well with others. None of these are bad, but they're just may not be the right fit today for this organization at this time. And we should be okay with that. So that's one angle. And another angle is evaluation is really for your own good. I'd love mm -hmm. for somebody to come to me at the end of each year and kind of say, you know what, Mali, you did really well on this, but you know, you could improve on that. And I'd be like, great, show me the way. How can I improve on ABC skills? Learning is, is a lifelong journey. It's not something that we ever really finish doing. To show a transition, there are many companies where I start with, and they always turn around and say, our evaluation, we have a stellar board, a word I've heard recently way too many times. And, you know, we rate our board at five out of five. Yeah. Last year, we were at 4.8, but this year, we're at five out of five. I'm like, that's impossible. Yeah. It is just fundamentally impossible. And you're not doing yourselves any favor. So that was a few years ago. And they just redid the evaluation. And, and now they call me in a panic and saying, we're at 3.6. And I'm like, that's wonderful. You actually have identified, you were able to identify areas which you can now focus on improving. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yes, great. So we need an improvement plan. That we can work with. And they were very engaged in that. Okay, we need to learn. We need to do better. Um, mm -hmm. So making that shift, I think, from a, a board development perspective, was very positive, I think. Mm. I'm interested then for that board, what was it that shifted in them in a way that, that got them to that point where they were a bit more realistic about assessing themselves? It's realising that it's not a competition, that if you score yeah. five out of five, there's, there's no cookies at the end of the road. But it's also realising that it's not negative, it's not a bad thing to not have five out of five. Yeah. And it's actually a learning curve and we need to be... We need to be ready for that. And at the end of the day, we serve on a board for the best interest of this organization, mm -hmm. in the best interest of this organization. So that was one. Another is that it's not a personal assessment. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean I rated at a four? But I'm mm -hmm. brilliant. I'm like, but I'm not <laughs> rating you. I'm rating <laughs> your performance in this collective environment. Yes. So it was both individual and collective shift, mindset shift that facilitated that evolution, I think. So because you're involved in the, the Institute of Directors, I'm guessing you are also involved with other institutes of directors around the world. I'm wondering, in your role in the Middle East, and you've already said the Middle East is not one homogenous, oh, there's the Middle East, here's how the Middle East operates. There's different parts of the Middle East that operate in different ways. So both within the Middle East, but also the Middle East and other areas around. What do you see are the, the similarities in governance practice and what are some of the differences in governance practice, both within the Middle East, but also with the Middle East and other areas? There is, in the Middle East, um, we have one advantage is that um, we were all, um, for lack of a better word, birthed by the IFC, International mm -hmm. Finance Corporation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they facilitated our setup and supported our existence through technical knowledge mm -hmm. and experience and expertise. So by virtue of that fact, we meet together every TOT. They bring us together every so often. So we know of each other and there are a lot of collaborative efforts that happen. 
uh, we call across for trainers, we call across for programs. There is that uh, collegiate presence. Outside the Middle East, we've reached out to and collaborated with other IODs around the world, but it's a formal relationship. There's no centralized IOD entity from which we're, that we're all affiliated to. Um, yeah. So it's a courteous and professional and a cordial partnership, mm -hmm. if you will, although mm -hmm. not necessarily a formal one. Now, in terms of differences of uh, governance practices, well, yes, that's that's very different. I think it's where are we today um, in the Middle East? Again, broad many countries, different regulations exist in each country, different practices exist in each country, different legislative understanding, oversight over governance laws. So the laws could exist, but there's no regulatory oversight or the laws mm. don't exist. There's also a difference in the strength of stakeholder activity, how much influence they can have on organizations. It's very different. Yeah. All in all, I'd say we're still a little behind in uh, institutionalizing mm -hmm. governance practices. And if I was to pick one key activity that I'd like to see a lot more of would be disclosure. Because without disclosure, it's hard for me, either from an academic or even a professional perspective, to kind of say, here's what's best practice. Here's what other companies in the same sector, in the same country are doing. Mm -hmm. There's a data scarcity of where we should be looking or what practices we should be considering. Yeah, more disclosure would, would be very helpful. And so in your role as part of the IOD, do you advocate around those issues within and across the Middle East as well? As much as we can and to anyone that would listen to us. <laughs> we, we also try to, I mean, and this is why I say research is a very important part yeah. of our presence. Um, mm. We also try to collect a lot of data and, and mm. collate it to, to present facts and figures and, and practices and, mm. and show trends either in alignment with global practices or in conflict with global mm. practices. But we're not always very successful. I mean, we try and we keep trying. And again, we need to reach a tipping point where it becomes common practice. So when mm -hmm. I'm from an advisory perspective, we're working with organizations and encouraging them to disclose and, and commonly we get, but nobody else's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we haven't quite reached that tipping point where it's like, well, actually there's another you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 organizations that are, why aren't mm -hmm. you? We're getting there. We're better than we were, having done this for, for over a decade. it's I've seen a lot of progress. Um, yeah. So it's nice to see that progress, but I think there's still a lot more to go. Yeah. And it's difficult because you're, as you said, you're dealing with a whole bunch of different systems that have different levels of regulation, disclosure, whatever it may be. So trying to bring alignment in all of that, you know, I don't envy you in that role to be able to influence that because also presumably it's an influencing piece and an advocacy piece. You don't have the power to implement. You've just, just got the power to influence and advocate around it. Exactly. I want to change tack slightly. And just, well, and just see where this takes us. So in a couple of weeks' time, you will be speaking at the Decision 84 conference and you're on a panel which is called, I think, something like the wisdom of the crowd, that is that they're crowdsourcing questions. So you don't know before the session uh, what might come up. But, you know, you've probably got some 
favourites and so on amongst theirs. So I'm wondering, what would you like to be asked? And once I know what that is, I'm going to ask you what the answer is. So, yeah, what would you like to be asked at that panel? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm happy to be asked anything, but I'm a lot more personally invested in how the board operates inside the boardroom. The board has a lot of roles inside and outside the boardroom. Sometimes a lot of the work gets done outside the boardroom. So how do you sway skeptical board members? Or how do you convince board members of the value of governance or structure or institutionalization of businesses? And if you ask me for the answer, my, my honest answer would be, I, I don't have... I don't have an answer, but um, it's an interesting debate. It's it's little red flag. I mean, I, I turn it around and say, what do you think would be a good selling point? I mean, we all know yeah. the benefits of governance, better operational efficiency, better financial performance, lower risk, uh, lower cost of capital, um, higher shareholder valuation. Mm -hmm. They all sound lovely, mm -hmm. um, but still a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals resist governance, what would be a even further or additional value add um, mm -hmm. that would sway or convince these people of the value that governance can bring to the table? Yeah, that sounds like a great thing to explore. I don't have the magic wand on that either. And I imagine in a way it links back to what we were saying previously in your role, it's around influencing organisations and influencing directors about that practice. I mean, I think it's all about building those relationships and listening to what is important to people and being able to communicate that in that way. It's back to the communication piece in a way that we started with and being able to communicate with people in a way that they can hear the message. So I might be delivering the message, but if they can't hear it, then I need to change the way I'm delivering it so they can hear it. How has this happened? It goes so quickly and we've traversed a number of different things in a way. So what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I would say holding on to the, the positives of, of culture, such as respect, is important, but mm -hmm. using it also as a tool to better communicate within the boardroom and to be more open to communicating and, and more receptive to constructive criticism with the mindset that this is not a personal attack, but but for the betterment or for the improvement of the board as a whole and the organization. Um, to not resist board evaluations for the same reasons. And, and I suppose I'd also say, listen, listen carefully, because I think we're generally very caught up in our day-to-day, -day. we're very caught up in our thoughts mm -hmm. and we often don't hear what people are saying or trying to say. And I think yeah. focusing on that uh, element of emotional intelligence in the boardroom um, mm -hmm. is probably a critical success factor um, mm -hmm. for every board to succeed. It's such an important point, isn't it? I think board directors often think about what they want to say rather than what they need to hear or need to listen to. It's such a, yeah, it's a fabulous point. Thank you. Is there a resource that you would like to recommend to the Take On Board community? Well, I, I did suggest actually quite a few, but one that's relevant, I think, is the Handbook of Governance by Richard LeBlanc. 
it's actually quite a hefty book, so it's not a bedtime reading book, but I, I did find it to be very beneficial. It does mm -hmm. touch on quite a lot of board issues and from many different angles, which I really appreciated. What he'd done is he'd bought different writers to write about each topic. And some of them were academics, some of them were practitioners, some of them were directors, some of them were advisors. So you, you do get it from different perspectives. And it's, again, not a, a reading book per se, but it's a good reference. I have resorted to it on several occasions for various topics. And it, yeah, it's a good resource for anybody in the governance world to, to keep uh, handy and accessible um, for reference for any, I think, board-related or key governance matters. Fantastic. It's always good to have a good handbook around that you can dip into when needed. You don't necessarily need to read it cover to cover, but you know it's there when you need it. <laughs> I'm a bookworm, so I had to do it cover to cover, but yes, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it might be one where we're just putting together a take on board book club. Um, if it's a large tome, maybe we'll use it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Marley, for being open to the call, for uh, coming on Take On Board today and sharing some of your wisdom around culture and influence and good governance and what makes that up. It's such an important topic. And as I say, there is no magic wand. So it's been fabulous to be able to pull apart some of that here today. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. Oh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. Hi there, it's Halia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.